There goes the lights. Well, last week, we started looking at a timeline, and what I was doing last week and into this week was kind of just giving us a timeline of the history of, of Israel, and today I want to finish that up. Um, last week, we went from, from Adam... Uh, to the death of Moses or to the beginning of Joshua. And um, Joshua would be the one that would take over for for Moses. And that timeline that we looked at last week um, went from, and I'm going to give you a lot of numbers again tonight. I tried not to, but I can't help it, man. I love numbers like this. And so I'm going to just give you a lot of numbers. Hopefully you don't get too lost But uh, be that as it may, the timeline that we had gone through uh, would be from 4004 B.C. to 1406 B.C. And that time frame that we looked at from Adam all the way to uh, Joshua was about um, 2,580-98 years. Um, and so tonight, time will slow down somewhat in that uh, we're only going to cover from, from Joshua when he took over to the end of the Babylonian captivity. And uh, we'll, we'll be looking at the years from about 1406 to 536, which is only a span of 870 years. So I'm not going to... We're not going to be passing through through space and time, you know, 2,000, almost 3,000 years. It's only 870 years that we're going to be covering. And I know that when it comes to biblical timelines, um, 870 years doesn't seem like a long time. Because again, last week when we were kind of going and we covered, you know, 20 2,500 years, almost 2,600 years. Uh, again, it just take, takes us from Genesis to, to, uh, to Joshua. But um, in reality, if we go back even today, from today, 870 years, it would take us to the year 1147. And I don't know about you, when you start looking at years and stuff, that's a long time ago, you know? I think oftentimes when we look in, in Scripture and we look at, you know, a hundred years, it went by that quick. It happens in one chapter, you know, and, and we've covered so much time. Um, but again, man, when we think about 870 years, man, that was a long, long time ago. A lot has happened in, in, in those years um, with society and the world and all. And, you know, we look back even in the last 20 years. We look back in the last 50 years. Some of us who are about that age... Um, I'm a little older than 50. Um, you know, when we look at what's happened in the last 50-some years, it's crazy, you know? Um, all kinds of stuff has happened. How many millions and billions of people have crossed through this world in and out, you know, throughout that time frame in the last 50 years? But you look at 870 years, and you're going, man, that's a lot. And it's interesting because what we looked at last last week when we're looking at 25, 2600 years, again, there was a lot of people. But what I realized as I was looking at the timeline that I was looking at last week when we're going from Abraham back, that he was he was born when Noah was still alive. He was 10 from Noah. And so back in those days, because people were living a lot longer, man, they went back to their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. They saw those generations back. And if we're, we're lucky if we could even see our great-grandparents now. But that's, that's how this whole thing was going. And the fact of the matter is that, that Noah got to see the birth of Abraham. And that Shem, his son, outlived Abraham in his life. And I'm just thinking, could we read in the scriptures of, of the genealogy? And then they died, and then they died. But they actually lived quite a bit. Um, and so again, it just fascinates me when I look at all of this. Turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, last week, 
when we got into this, um, looking at the timeline, we, we looked at a portion of Deuteronomy chapter 7, which told us of why the Lord had chosen Israel, His people, to be a nation. Again, it wasn't because they were a superpower. It was because He wanted to show His superpower through them. And he would use the nation of Israel to this day. He would be using the nation of Israel. And again, when we look at them, even today, man, they're the size of New Jersey. And yet they are one of the most powerful nations. And everything points towards them. And so Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, I want to read the, the whole chapter. It's uh, 20 verses. It's a powerful portion of scripture. And so it says, every commandment, which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you in the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know that, to know what was in his heart in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as man chastens, chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and, and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and uh, of vines and fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without uh, scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of the, whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are filled full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is filled up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and, and scorpions and thirsty land where there, were, where, where there was no water, who brought water to you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you, say, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth and you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day, then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them 
I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as a nation, as the nations which the Lord destroyed before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, I wanted to follow, uh, read this portion of Scripture because, again, it was powerful. In that last, last week, we kind of were looking at the fact that the reason God got, got this people because they were nothing and nothing to write home about, nothing in their own strength and their own power, and yet God was the one that, that raised them up, and now He's brought them all the way to this part and, and, and what happens in chapter 8 is that Moses, he, he, he looks backwards to remind them, the people of God, how God sustained them. I love the fact that even as they were in the wilderness, it says that their garments didn't grow old, their shoes didn't, didn't wear out, their, their feet didn't even swell. All this time that they were in there, he sustained them. He gave them what they needed. They needed water, he gave them water. They needed food, he gave them food. He miraculously provided for them all the time. And, and, and he took care of their every need and their every want even at times. But it was truly a time of humbling. It was truly a time of testing and chastening. <clears throat> And so you see, it was in those 40 years in the wilderness that, that this nation was led by Moses. It was in that time frame that they had become a nation because it was in that time frame when Moses went into Mount Sinai and he met with God and God just, they, they, they just had this relationship all of a sudden that, that God made this contract with them to where they became a nation when he came down. He, he was now dealing with these, the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel and he kind of bound himself to them and made them, in effect, a nation. And it was at that time in, the, in, the nation, in, in, in Sinai and then from there they, were, they would always be known as the nation of Israel. And it was this relationship that he had formed with them, this covenant, um, uh, that, that had to do with the Ten Commandments and with the judgments and with the statutes, that if you obeyed them, man, it would go well with you. It would always go well with you. Even through the battles, it would go well with you. Um, he would always minister to them. And it was this covenant that was the fundamental importance of, of, of the nation of Israel and its history. This covenant that they had with them, with the 12 tribes of Israel that bounded together, this united nations, this Hebrew nations that they, they became known, and their specific destiny if you will, was the fact that they were chosen by God to be a channel for this divine revelation, which was the God of Israel, which eventually would be Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But what Moses also does in this chapter is not only he looks back, but he looks forward. He looks onward to the land that God had promised to give them as a nation. It's interesting, when they had left that that land, because they were in that land before, when they had left 470 years earlier, they were just a people. They were only a people of 70 when they came to, to Egypt, and they would now be coming back as a nation, as a nation of Israel. And the land would have everything, as we just read. He provided everything for them. Everything that they would ever need, He would have there, everything that they ever wanted would be there already. He was providing this land for them. But they would have to take it and they would have to maintain it. But God would take care of everything for them as long as they were obedient to the Lord. He would do that. And the warning that he gives them was in verses 11 through 14 when he tells them to beware lest they forget. Lest they forget what God had done for them, man. He says, don't forget, man, because if you, when you forget, then you're going to get too, too, too high on your horse. You're going to get, think too highly of yourself. Don't forget, because it, when you get to that point, when you multiply and when you have all these things, you're going to forget that it was God who did all this work for you. And guys, that we would never forget that, because again, I think when we're looking at the nation of Israel, again, we could, we could look at a lot of times in our lives that when God has provided everything and then we're going, oh, I think I'm cool. I think I can do this. And we forget how faithful he has been and he has provided everything for us. And so um, 
the, the main thrust of this whole thing was the fact that they would have to be obedient to him. So what we left off last week in the history of Israel was at the death of Moses, which happened in, four, in 1406 B.C. He was 120 years old when he died. And it was about that, that, uh, that age that the people were living. They were living to be over 100, 150, somewhere around there at that time. And it would be in that same year that Joshua, his protege, his assistant, the one that, that, that walked alongside of him, the one that went halfway up to Mount Sinai and, and hung out with them and waited for him until he went up to meet with God. It was, it was Joshua, the one that God would entrust with this people that, that they believe was over uh, two, billion, or two million people. Joshua was 85 years old when he takes over for Moses. And it's interesting because him and Caleb were the only ones at that age. Everybody else around that age had died out because anybody over 20 that went into the wilderness died because of their unbelief, except for Joshua and Caleb. And they were the only two guys that were in their 80s when they took over. Everybody else was 40 and below or 60 and below um, at that time. And so he's the old man. He's the old guy there. But God has raised him up. And him and Caleb, and they were just as, as gnarly and as strong as they were when they were in their 40s. And so he becomes the leader of the nation of Israel. And God prepares them to go and take over. The nation of Israel was made up of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob. And it's interesting because I shared this with you last week really quick. But he had his 12 sons from four different women, from Leah and uh, Bildna, which was uh, Rachel's uh, maidservant, and uh, Zilpah, which was Leah's maidservant, and Rachel. And so he had these, these 12 boys from these ladies. He had other children as well. But Levi and, and Joseph are excluded from the 12 tribes of Israel. Levi, because he became the priest. And it's interesting because they weren't going to get a possession because the Lord was their possession. The Lord was their inheritance. And then Joseph, he is not in the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, but uh, his sons Manasseh and Ephraim are added to that. And so the names are Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Benjamin um, are the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Joshua, and for that matter, the book of Joshua, uh, spans only 25 years from the time that he took over to the time that he died. And Joshua was at, uh, he died at the age of uh, 110 years old. But a lot was accomplished in that time. So much that the Lord had, had allowed him to do um, and the whole nation of Israel. And it is in that time that in the first couple chapters, in the few, first few chapters when they start preparing to take over for the land. And it was right after Right around there, um, if you remember, I, I read the, the promise that he gave or, or what, what the Lord encouraged Joshua with in Joshua chapter 1, where, where he just tells them, hey, my, Mo, my servant Moses is dead, you know, and you're the one that's going to cross over. And he exhorts him by saying, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you as I, as I said to Moses. And three different times in that short chapter, he tells them only be strong and of good courage and go in and take over. And he says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you and everything that happens. And so in the first few chapters there, um, he, he's preparing the people to cross over because in verse 10 or verse 11, of chapter one, uh, right away he says, "Hey man," he he gets the people together and he starts saying, "Hey, we're going to pass over. We're going to we're going to 
take over the land. And you can imagine that again, God had promised them this land a long time ago, hundreds of years earlier with, with, with Abraham, that he would give them that land. And they kind of settled, they went into Egypt, now they're going back, but they're going back as a strong people. And they would, they would take over this land. And so what happens from chapter 6 to about chapter 12 is they're entering in, and now the battles are starting. They're coming in and they're going to fight against different cities to overtake them. And the first one was Jericho. And then we know about Ai, that they got defeated. They went back and they, they, they won again. And then the Gibeonites, they, they came in and they made a contract with them, which they weren't supposed to. And so all of a sudden they're, they're, they're fighting in the southern kingdom to take control of it. And then they will move on to the northern kingdom in, in that area or, or, or the northern part to take over all of that. And so once they get to chapter 12 of, of, of Joshua, they have already conquered, basically, the enemy. They, they, they have subdued the land, if you will. Not quite totally the way they were supposed to, but they've gone in there and they've taken care of business. Just the way God told them, hey, I'm taking you into this promised land. But I love the fact that even as they're going into the promised land, even though God says, hey, man, I'm giving you this land, you're going to have everything you need. And what they go into is battles, right? They go into the battles and now they have to fight their way through. But God's already saying, I've given it all to you. Just be obedient. Teaching them lessons throughout that, that whole time. And once you get into chapter 13 to about chapter 20, 22, now they're dividing the whole land. And they're going to divide it into 12 different areas. Basically 13 because Manasseh, uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, they love the east side of, of the Jordan so much that they say, hey man, let us stay on this side. Let us stay on this side, man. We, we have all our cattle. We have all our sheep. We have all our stuff on this side. It's a great land. Let us have it. And so they make this deal, okay, well, you're going to come and fight. They're going, we'll do it, man, but just let us keep this land. And so they do. And so when they go back to the other side, they give the other half of Manasseh down there and, and Judah and Ephraim. And then they go um, uh, and, and give it to, uh, to Benjamin, Solomon, uh, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Nephtali, Dan, and uh, and so they take over that whole area. So now they're, it's all divided. Some got smaller, some got bigger. But nonetheless, they've divided. They've come in, they've conquered, and now they've divided the land. Now they're settled. And you would think that, man, now, now it's all good. In that time, the, the, the children of, uh, or the, the Levites, they would end up having parts of 48 different cities that they would be a part of. But again, they, they belonged to each of the tribes, but they would be all over the place there. They had at least six cities of refuge where if somebody committed a, a murder, a, a manslaughter, or stuff like that, they can go and find refuge. And so all those things were, were taken care of. And they did have a little bit of infighting towards the end of in chapter 22. And so when you get to the end of, of, of Joshua... Um, some of the final words from Joshua to those who were supposed to carry on in Joshua 24, verses 14 to, to 25. I want, I want to read that portion to you because Joshua just lays it out to these guys. And again, man, they've been in there. They've, they've taken it. They, they, they've settled. And Joshua begins to talk to them because he knows his time is short. And in verse 14 of chapter 24, says, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which our fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which our fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, 
Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, your, our God, is He who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who did great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwell in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forget, forgive your trans, transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he had done you good. But the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your ear to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, we will serve. And his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. I find it interesting that after this whole thing, after God had just provided everything that was needed for them, and, and Joshua has seen it all. He's, he's been a part of all of it. And yet he comes to the end and he challenges the people because he knows their proclivities. He knows what their tendencies are. He knows which way they could lean. He knows what, what has happened within the land because they had not utterly destroyed everybody that they would, they, there was foreign gods there from the Ammonites and, and they would remember about the gods back in Egypt. And so he challenges them to follow the Lord and not fall away. And even when they're going, yes, amen, yes, we will follow the Lord. He says, Okay, let me reiterate it again. And he, he tells them again. They're going, yep, we're with you, man. Okay, let me tell you again. And he does that several times through this whole time because he knew that these people, that there wasn't really anybody that was left. He wasn't raising somebody up to take over, which is a dangerous thing. And so in his final words, he tells them all this stuff. And, and so the timeline for this for this time, from the time that, that he took over in, in, one, in, in 1460 B.C. to 1381 B.C., 25 years in all, man. He had seen it all. He had seen a lot. He was ready to die. And after the death of Joshua came, and the time of the judges was now coming in, these would be the ones that would rule over Israel. And that timeline would go from 1350 B.C. to 1050 B.C., a period of 300 years, which would take us from the nation of Israel uh, to, uh, from this time to when it gets its first king. That's, that's what that timeline would be. Now, the time of the book of the Judges would be a period of 331 years. And, but you see, there's, there's this 31-year gap between Joshua or the end of Joshua and when the first judge comes, comes in. There's this little lapse that happens. And if you go over to Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, it says this. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. 
Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods among, from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said. And as the Lord had swore to them, and they were greatly distressed. What a sad commentary, man. Again, Joshua had warned them. Again, I don't know why the Lord hadn't brought somebody up right behind Joshua, but for a time, for a generation, for 31 years, that, that, that time lapse there, it says that there, there was a generation that did not know the Lord. They did not continue talking about the things of the Lord. For some reason, they just kind of fell by the wayside, and these guys had no clue what God had done for them. They didn't know the work that God had done for them. And all of a sudden, we hear this phrase that we heard throughout First and Second Kings, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And all of a sudden, they began to do this, this craziness. And, and, and it's interesting because the book of Judges, it's a great read, man, because there's some great, great stories and amazing stories in there. But it was a chaotic, chaotic time for those 300 years. And that is why God would, would end up raising judges in Israel. And they would be made up of 12 different judges. One a woman, one woman and 11 men. The best known judges of, of this, this time in the book of Judges are Deborah. Um, lost my place. Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. These guys were, and, and again, if you know some of their stories, it's just like crazy stories. And the other nine judges from that time period um, in, that, in the history of Israel were um, Othanel, Ehud, Shamgar, Tola of the house of Tola, um, which they were known for their cookies, the Tola house cookies. Um, it's amazing how they've just stuck around. Janar, um, Jephthah, Ibizan, uh, Elan, Elan, and Abdon. All these guys, for 300 years, they had different time periods, most of them for about 40 years. But it's interesting because in that time frame, again, the nation of Israel would begin to do what is, what is evil in the sight of the Lord and just start going all their, in their crazy ways and doing all kinds of craziness. And that's why there's so many amazing stories in the book of, of Judges because they would go and do all this craziness and then in their wickedness, they would cry out to God. And God in His faithfulness, in His faithfulness would raise somebody up. He would be preparing them to be raised up so they can judge Israel. And they would, they would represent you know, the people to God and God to the people. And, and they would come and, do, and God would miraculously deliver them time and time and time again. And, and, and Judges for me is one of those books that when you look at it, you're going, why would you continue to go back to what... To, you know, all this craziness, you know, and I, it never fails. <clears throat> Every time I read through Judges, it just reminds me, Zeke, why do you always do the same stupid things? Why do you go back or why do you think about those things? And why do you, you know, and just reminds me that I am no different than what these people were. And, and, and so, again, it's just an amazing portion of Scripture and Judges. Now, when you get to the last five chapters of the book of, of, of Judges, there's a phrase that is mentioned four times in the five chapters because this is where their hearts were at. And I will read to you the last verse 
of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. And this is where, again, they're closing it up in the book of Judges, but it says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Four different times, again, it tells us that there was no king. A couple of those times it says, and they did what was right in their own eyes. This is where their hearts were at. They, 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 throughout that time, towards the end especially, wanted to be like the other nations who had kings. And God would say, you don't want a king over you because this is what the kings are going to do. And he spelled it out for them, and yet they're going, but we want to be just like all the other nations. And Israel, the nation of Israel, could never be like all the other nations because God was their God. As much as they tried to be like the other nations, they could never really hit, uh, make it happen because God would not allow them to do that and be that. And so... You, you, you get all these, these crazy stories that are happening in, in uh, the book of Judges. And so when, when we get to the end there, it would now be the year 1192 B.C. That was the time of the Judges. At that time in 1192, Eli, the, the priest, was born. And he is mentioned in the beginning of First Samuel, in the first several chapters. Eli is the big deal. He's, he's the priest. He would be the one that raises up Samuel, young Samuel. In, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, of, of, uh, and 4 of First Samuel. It's interesting because many would say that Samuel would be the last and final judge of Israel. Now granted, he, he was in a lot of ways. Because even though the book of Judges is finishing, it kind of goes into 1 Samuel until the king comes on the scene. And then it goes from, from being a theocracy into a monarchy. And so Samuel would be the one that anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel, the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel finally gets its king. Closing off the 300 years of the judges when these people judged Israel for that time. Closing off the judges, it would fall on the year uh, 1051 BC. Now, Eli the priest, I'm going to go back to Eli the priest. Eli the priest died on 1094 B.C. He was 98 years old when he died. And he died after hearing about his sons being killed in battle. And that is when Samuel begins to take over. Samuel, I think, was, was now uh, getting closer to his, uh, his 50s when he takes over around that time. No, he's actually younger than that. Anyways, but Samuel takes over for him. And when the kings start from there to the year um, 1051 B.C., the kingdom is divided into two kingdoms after Solomon, which would be the third king. Um, the northern kingdom would be taken captive by the Assyrians in 700. 721 B.C. And the southern kingdom would continue going for the next uh, 135 years until finally in the third deportation as we've been covering the last several months. In the third de deportation, or in the first deportation, um, no, third de deportation, 586 B.C. But the first one, the first deportation happened in 605 B.C. So, from the time period of 605 B.C., going back to the time when Eli the priest died in 1094 B.C., that would also be the time when Eli dies is when Shiloh is destroyed. 
And Shiloh was the city up by Bethel area. And that is where they, they did all the worship. That is where they had set up the tabernacle before Jerusalem became the capital with, with uh, David. That is where the headquarters was up in Shiloh. And that is where Eli was, was the priest. But the day or the year he died is the same year that Shiloh was, was destroyed. There was a span of 490 years from 1094 to 605. There was that span of 490 years. And 490 years is, is a really important time in this timeline. Not because Eli the priest died, because of what happened to Shiloh, the fact that it got destroyed. But the other thing that happened was what stopped happening when Shiloh was destroyed. And that is that the nation of Israel stopped observing the seventh year Sabbath. It was when when Eli died. And for 490 years, they never kept the seventh year Sabbath. They never, they never gave the land rest. And it's interesting because God, when he was giving them the land, he wanted them to come in, take it over, and then rest. <laughs> they had basically taken over a lot of it in the first seven years, and they were supposed to rest. And yet they didn't always rest. In those 490 years, they missed 70 years of not letting the, the land rest. 70 years. And so the Lord was going to let the land rest. And he promised his people that he would, he would let the land rest. And so in Jeremiah, I have it written down here, but if you want to turn to it, it's up to you. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 12 to 14 the prophet Jeremiah who lived at the end of, uh, uh, of the, the southern kingdom there before they were taken captive. It says, But go now, the Lord tells them, But go now to my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because... You have done all these works, says the Lord. I have spoken to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And so throughout all the kings, throughout the, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, it's now coming to the end and the prophecy of Jeremiah is coming to pass. That he said, I will do to this place, to this land, what has happened to Shiloh. And it's interesting because he says the same, basically the same thing Jeremiah does in chapter 26, verses 4 to 9. And you can read that a little later. But it's interesting, before he gave them all that land, back in, in, in Leviticus, back, back before all of this was, was happening, when they were in the wilderness, he says this to them in verses 40, 43 to 46 of Leviticus 26. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statues. Yet, for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God, but for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors. 
whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. And so even before they go into the land, before anything happens, way, way before all of that in the wilderness, God said that they would not keep the Sabbath and their land would be desolate. He promised that he would do that and he would hand them over to their enemies and even in their land of of the enemies, even in their time in Babylon, in their time of captivity, God says, and I will not turn away from them. Even though he allowed all this to happen, even though their disobedience got the best of them and they did all of these things, he did not abhor them nor utterly destroy them. He kept them there. Again, when, when, when I'm looking at all this, I'm, I'm reminded of his faithfulness. See, he wanted his people to go through all that they went through to take them into the promised land. And even though there was going to be battles, even though there was going to be fights, even though there was going to be other stuff that happened in their lives, he wanted them to rest in him. And they did not rest. And they didn't allow the, the, the land to rest. But God was going to get his rest. <laughs> He was going to allow the land to get its rest. And in, in the last verse, the last two verses of Second Chronicles 26, the last chapter of Second Chronicles, finishing our, our story before they go into captivity, it says this, And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon. There they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the pre- Uh, of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land has enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lays desolate, she she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. It's fascinating to me. And that's why I just love these numbers. And I know, I, you know, you start talking numbers and people's eyes glaze over and stuff. But it's fascinating when you start doing a study of, of all the, these timelines and all these numbers and why it was important for God to, to have or for the land to have its rest because God says, this is the way you're supposed to do it. It's interesting, my, my son-in-law who's in agriculture, again, Every seven years, they, they, do, they, they replant, they redo something, they give land rest. He says, it has to happen so all the nutrients come back to it. And I'm going, geez, it still happens today. They, they section off certain parts so they can do this part, but they'll leave that part. And, and, and God knew exactly what he was saying. At the end of 70 years, which brings us to 536 B.C., when Cyrus, the king of Persia, he made a proclamation to send the children of Israel back to their land. Now again, they had been there for 70 years. They were no longer a nation. But they would be coming back and once again, they would become a nation in Israel, which would be a total miracle from God. You see, the the history of the nation of Israel is phenomenal. Because God had a people, He had a man that created, that, that, that He made into a nation that again, because of the disobedience and, and because they didn't rest the way God wanted them to rest, God would get His rest. And they would be taken captive, but He would bring them back. And through this, all, this whole thing that I've been kind of looking at and all the numbers and all the graphs that I have up here and all the timelines and stuff, I'm just fascinated about God's faithfulness. Because when he says something, he will do it. And guys, when it comes to our lives, God, God is faithful. You know, we, we live on this earth, what, 70, 80 years. <laughs> it's a lifetime, man. It seems like forever. These guys were living all this time, and God was faithful. Through every generation, he was faithful. And every time he knew every one of those people, not only the ones that we have named, but the ones that are not named. He has known them. Every, every person he knew that came through the nation of Israel and the whole world, I, I just, I'm, I'm going like, God, how do you do that? 
It's beyond us. But one of the things, again, is his faithfulness to the nation of Israel. And he will continue to be faithful to them as he, as he is to this day, as he is until the very end. He will be faithful to them. But I want to encourage you that God is faithful to you. He is truly faithful to you. He brought you into his family to give you rest from life. <laughs> you know, he, 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 he takes things serious about the Sabbath, about the rest. Now, we, 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 don't, we don't observe the Sabbath as the, the Jews do. But he still wants us to rest. He wants us to rest in him every day. He brings us into these places that he says, here, just rest in me. Just trust in me. I will provide everything that you will ever need from here on out throughout your whole life. And he doesn't ask for much. All he asks for is obedience. <laughs> That's all he asks for. Just be obedient. He, he gives us his commandments. <clears throat> he gives us his judgments. He gives us his statutes, his precepts. He gives us all those things. He says, it's all laid out for you. Just stay right there. <laughs> Because when you go off and when you go in on your own direction, I will let you go. And, and like we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he will chasten his children. And he did that to them. He will humble us. If we don't humble ourselves, he will humble us. Because <laughs> that's who he is. He just likes to keep us in that place. He will test us. And like I told one of the brothers earlier, because they were talking about temptation, and, and, and we're going, man, I'd rather be tested the tempted. <laughs> because temptation is really, really hard. Just test me, Lord. Know my heart, man. You know me all too well. And so, guys, again, man, thank you for putting up for all these numbers. Um, I know it's, it's, it's a lot, but um, it, it's interesting because the Prince of Persia, when he makes his proclamation to bring the ch children back, is right at the beginning of Ezra chapter 1. And that's where we're going to be starting at the beginning of the year. For the next two Thursdays, I have different guys coming in and, and sharing and teaching. Guys from the fellowship here. But, um, but again, it's just been phenomenal being in the Old Testament. I'm excited about getting into Ezra and then Nehemiah and then see what happens from there. But anyways, God bless you guys. Let's stand as we close in prayer. And we'll close in a song. Father, thank you so much, Lord for just allowing me the privilege, Lord, to study and to, 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 to go over all this, this history, Lord. It's been amazing on my part, Lord. I just pray that I was able to do it a little bit of justice uh, for you, God, and for our brothers and sisters. Lord God, when we look at the nation of Israel and the history of Israel, Lord, up until you, you took them into captivity, even as they were in captivity, you still used them, Lord. You still raised up guys like Daniel, and Ezekiel. Father, you, you use people in that time frame, Lord God, to keep the people going, Lord. And you were preparing people, even in captivity, for when you would bring them back as a nation, Lord. And Father, we're, we're just so grateful that you are faithful, Lord. Your word is true, Lord. It's precise. It's accurate. And so, Lord, we, we look to you, that God, in our own lives, we would just be obedient, Lord. We would desire to rest in you, that our Sabbath would be every day, Lord, in our lives with you. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.